your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Monday, Lacrosse Talk PM, and I'm back. Sorry to hear that. I'm sure you're all sorry. 608 7914 is the talking text line. I'm trying to get the microphone so it doesn't fall off the thing. Got to hit that screw. If you want to get in here, like I said, 608-785-7914. Coming up on the show, probably talk about that Holman thing. Gone a week, kind of two big things happen. And and let me know if anything else happened. I haven't checked my, uh, you know, throughout the week I'll throw some stuff in in a Google Doc. Can we, are we doing that still? Can we throw stuff in a Google Doc? All these, uh, all these uh, fake Facebook Post end up in a Google Doc. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, well, not funny, but interesting and kind of funny. But uh, I, I didn't look at them yet because I just I haven't even. There's the, the the two things that I kind of want to talk about are happening tonight. One of them, and then the other one, I'm having interim assistant fire chief for the Lacrosse Fire Department, Jeff Shot on, to talk about what the other big thing that happened last week while I was gone for the week. That fire downtown, and and just we'll, we're going to get the uh, interim fire chief, assistant fire chief's perspective on on how that went, uh, what happens next, and and later on the show we'll probably talk about Cheryl Hancock. She stepped down today from the from the executive director position at the Cooley Recovery Center. That wasn't a big surprise because she was doing that in a month anyway, but they just moved that up a month, and then there's a special school board. Uh, closed, what do they call it, a closed session tonight. Gee, I wonder what that'll be about. Big surprise, right? Uh, and we'll see. It, it, it could be, it, there could be some questions as to what that's going to be about, but um, at this point, sounds like, you know, probably will she step down as president or will she step down as a school board member? A couple of people calling in, I believe. We'll go to the phones. Number three, go ahead, you're on. I thought I'd call. I hear you're back. I didn't learn nothing last week. You didn't learn nothing? What about, I don't know, what What did you guys talk about all week? I don't know. I didn't listen. Oh, why not? You're supposed to listen and give me the report, I thought. Uh, he don't like my advice anymore. Oh. I want to know, did you get hitched over the week? Did you get married? <laughs> did I get hitched? No, I drove, I, we drove to Cleveland. You what? We went to Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio? Yeah, in Ohio, yeah. Ain't that where you bought your new car? No, I bought my new car literally in the Bronx. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> my new... I want you to be careful on your way to Stoddard. There's some road construction. Yeah, how's that going? Well, we haven't had no bad fender benders yet, but it's really the first week, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's only going to be a two-year, two-summer process, that yeah, whole well, stretch. Just watch out for the orange barrels, will you? Yeah, are they? I feel like you can hit the orange barrels. You'll be all right. You could bounce them way over on a railroad track. Yeah, right. Yeah, all right. Well, carry on and keep your powder dry. Nice to hear your voice. Yeah, all right, you too. Thanks. Seven four. Um, um, yeah, so, like, I, and that was the other thing I want to talk about. The, the, the Cheryl Hancock school board thing, uh, the fire that happened last week in downtown La Crosse, and, and this, my trip to Cleveland. I just, I wrote down a couple of things. Not, these aren't, they're, they were all one thought, because it's hard to do this, a text and Texting and driving on the highway isn't great. The talk to text too. I'm I'm reading my notes now because I haven't looked at them. I'm like, oh yeah, those those talk to text. Sometimes they they work well. Sometimes they don't. But uh, you put Google Maps. You can you can zip it to the car, right? So you can watch on your screen the Google Maps. You know where you're going. 
but also they mark police cars on Google Maps. I don't know if you knew this. And I didn't until the girlfriend's like, oh, cop, cop. It's And I'm like, well, how do you like it's dark? How do you even know? And she's like, it's on the map. See, and I'm like, oh, interesting. And I just kind of wonder if the police officer, do they have Google Maps up on their car? So that when they're camped out on somewhere on the interstate and they blip up on Google Maps, do they go, oh, all right, well, time to move. I guess I can't sit here anymore and try to get people speeding because everyone knows I'm here or people using Google Maps know I'm here. And then also my other thought was, do cops do this? Maybe if they're good, if they're just you know, radar in one direction. This would be great to have a, one of the sheriff's deputies on to talk about this. <laughs> like they're going to tell us here. Do, do the officers or deputies do this? And then uh, do, they, do they do it themselves? Do they, okay, I'm going to mark that I'm here on the Google map. And then I'm going to go like three miles down the road, right? Because after you pass that little marker, right, then you think, oh, the cop isn't there. He's moved on. I can speed again. And then three miles, three miles seems like a good three, five miles. I don't know. Three miles down the road from where the marker originally was. Now you're speeding again because you haven't seen the cop at that spot. And then he gets you. So there, <laughs> it seems nefarious. I don't, I don't, I don't think there'd probably be rules against doing that. That seems a little, little off, but I was just kind of wondering that. And then also driving out east like that, it's, it's a toll road for most of the way. Once I think, is it past Chicago or Indiana? I, I, I just I had the easy pass, so it was like boop. Um, but just the I, the amount of infrastructure it takes to build a toll road seems like ex- just a, a little ridiculous. This amount of thing, this thing that we have to build, and now it can be pretty much all automated. You, you used to back in the day. I remember, you know, road trips with the family going through the tolls. I think to go to Great America, you had to hit some tolls, and there was just there was toll booths, right? And people worked in those toll booths. I'm sure that was a great paying job. Um, but now there's probably like one person in a toll booth. And then it usually most of the rest is is automated. So, uh, you know, they, it's not even like a job producer anymore. You could you could almost doubt that. But the amount of infrastructure it takes to, to build these toll roads to what? Pay? Is it all? Does all that money go to more road infrastructure? Does it go everywhere? When really we could... We're just, it just, it seems like a, we're just a charging poor people to drive across the country because they can't fly, which is kind of, kind of what we were doing. Uh, it's like a nine, 10 hour drive to, to Cleveland. You could do the nine, 10 hour drive, or you could fly to the cities. And then by the time you get the cities to Cleveland, by the time you got from house to house, it was probably be nine, 10 hours, maybe a little shorter, but just seemed easier to drive. Anyways, the, those were deep thoughts as I had a 10-hour drive to, to take to Cleveland. Anyway, uh, Interim Fire Chief Jeff Schott, we can we can examine this stuff after that. Uh, I'm bringing on Interim Assistant Fire Chief Jeff Schott to talk about that fire downtown in a couple minutes. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914. We'll make that the text line for a little bit here as we have Lacrosse Fire Department Interim Assistant Chief Jeff shot on with me. Uh, how are you, Jeff? Everything settled here a couple days later if, after this fire downtown? Yeah, hi, Rick. Thanks. Uh, definitely a better Monday than it was a Thursday of last week. I can assure you of that. Yeah, no, not a lot of times do you say a Monday is better than a Thursday, but I hear you. Uh, shot has been with the Lacrosse Fire Department for 22 years. He started 
He started his career 23 years ago, but so so all but one of your years as a fire fireman have been in lacrosse. I, I think maybe you you did some military firefighting, National Guard firefighting before that that year in training. Um, can, can you rank what happened last Thursday in downtown lacrosse? That fire that took out that building. Uh, it's weird to say rank, but I mean, how? I, I don't know. Where does that rank on on devastating fires in lacrosse? I think it's right up there in terms of impact. Uh, I know that uh, the bigger fires, especially we've had downtown, make more of a splash on the news. But in terms of dollar amount, I, I think it's definitely up there in my top ten in my career. And in terms of impact on our department and the community, certainly would also rank up there high, at least in my experience. What would be in, in the last 22 years here of your career in lacrosse? Do you have like a, this was the, this was my most, uh, this was the most devastating. This is the biggest one of my career. I think this is these types of fires that are in, especially in the top 10 and any, any, any chief level officer career, I, I think of the ones where the potential for the loss of life is the most significant. And in, in this particular case, and in some of the other downtown fires you had mentioned, we, we spoke earlier about the casino fire and also the J Street fire. There were commercial properties with residential over the top, and, and those are quite expansive. Um, they've been remodeled over the years, and it's not just like conventional housing. So we get those calls and they come in, especially at 4 in the morning when people are generally sleeping. That's the greatest worry, and that's what sticks out in my mind over my career is when you go to those early morning fires where you've got residential and it's really unknown how many people might be living up there, how many apartments there actually are. So in terms of impact on my psyche, yeah, this one ranks up there really high. And in, in terms of the history of the lacrosse fire department, I, I don't, I really can't speak to that, but certainly any, any fire chief's nightmare is when you have those types of residential occupancies that are at risk. Yeah. And, and, what what's awesome about this fire is sounds weird, but nobody was hurt. Like literally nobody, like when we say hurt, what do you mean when, by that? Nobody was hurt. Cause you told me that earlier. I think that's the story coming out of the media. Yeah, there was, there was one minor injury to a firefighter that was reported, but uh, it was nobody as far as civilian or firefighter wise was treated at any of the local facilities or had to be taken in or has any missed work at this point. So that we, we, deem a great success in this industry uh, when you can walk away from that type of loss of a structure and not have anyone injured. I, I think that is, uh, in many ways, um, the, the best that we could ask for in the outcome in terms of life life side of it. Uh, obviously, the property is another thing. Um, cause? I'm trying to... I thought I read that there was a cause, now, and, and it just slipped my mind what the cause was. Do we know what the cause of the fire was? It seemed pretty typical from what I remember reading. It was like an oven or something. A heater. No, I think there's some confusion. I think on the, some of the reporting side of it, um, there's what comes out, uh, what was what we were actually called to, versus what we actually found, and and the, the cause and origin will be under investigation probably for quite some time. But it did get reported as this being a small fire, uh, potentially in a kitchen, and that's not that's not what it ended up being at all. So this will the cause and origin will be under investigation for amount of time and and then once uh the investigators reach a conclusion or or not a conclusion they'll they'll announce that publicly now you guys do you have any like role i guess you would have some role being yet you were and i i should tell the audience uh interim assistant fire chief jeff shot uh was was there you were there for all what 10 12 hours of this thing 
Yeah, I got there at about 4.30 a.m. The incident started around 4.15, and it ended at 11.50 p.m., but fortunately, I got to go home a little bit earlier than that. Uh, They just had to complete the demolition. So, yeah, it was a pretty lengthy event for me personally. And when, now, investigators, the lacrosse fire department, when you say investigators, that's an outside deal that, like, the lacrosse fire department, do do you have your own investigators, or is the state coming and do that? Yeah, that's correct. We do have our own investigator, uh, and they are uh, certified fire investigators. But on the um, on the other side, there's also some insurance folks that get involved, and they have their investigators also that that get into the mix. And they they don't work together, but they sort of work in parallel. And um, we'll receive updates from our investigative unit, and and they're they're working it as we uh, you know. I know today they were on it, so we'll we'll hopefully. Here's something down the road as far as what the cause and origin may be. Being there that long, I mean, how after the fact, how 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 much were you able to kind of get dirty and, and kind of get in there and see, you know, the the aftermath of the damage? I don't know if you're if you yourself were were in inside the remains of the building. No, I, I did get to see the building come down and then uh, watch them take you know numerous dumpsters full of the actual building away and. I will say something that stood out and probably to a lot of the younger firefighters and hadn't seen something like that is the amount of damage that was caused and how deep-seated that fire was actually inside that structure. And you know from working downtown, those buildings are old. They're built with dimensional lumber, multi-layered, numerous remodels over the 13 decades that the thing has been standing. So what was striking to me is to see just the amount uh, of damage and how deep it went inside the building in terms of uh, the amount of fire and the fire load that we saw. So pretty uh, spectacular, surreal, and it, uh, it really is truly a miracle no one got injured in that, in that whole situation. How do investigators investigate? Are, is the investigation done? Because the, there's, you, you, like you said, you took everything and threw it. I think it was, I think it was smoldering down at Isle of Plume, right? Like you left the remains there so that it wouldn't start up again. Does the investigation keep going? How do they even do that? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure the details of the systematic process that they use to kind of go over. Um, there's a lot of uh, angles that they take, and that goes from initial reports, how the fire was reported. Uh, in this day and age, you know the amount of media that's out there that gets captured on people's phones and security cameras. So that will probably play a factor into it. Um, you know, what the, what the occupancy's use was at the time that the fire started. All those things sort of go into the, to the investigative side of it. And it's, quite frankly, it's not really been um, an area of my career where I have much experience on the investigation side. I do some, I do some original cause and origin when the things are simple, but this is something that's going to probably go on for a period of time and require a lot of uh, expertise at a level that I just can't speak to. Well, some of your guys, they must get interviewed. I would say, you know, a, a week or a couple of weeks after the fact, you know, they'll probably start to forget the little nitty-gritty details. Do you, I would imagine some of the firemen will get interviewed or have been already on just what they've seen. But it is kind of weird. Like, I'm in the building fighting a, this raging fire. Also, you know, did you see anything? <laughs> like, Yeah, I saw fire and I was trying to put it out, right? That's, it seems like a weird thing to try to go over, you know, trying to figure out how this thing started. It is, and then we have sort of a standard practice in place where we do this first-in reporting. So we have all of us have to do standardized reports for whatever unit or resource we are part of for any incident. 
But in these particular cases, we have procedures in place to for every firefighter that was involved in that incident to write a first-in report. So it details what your task level work was, what your assignment was, what you saw, and then it has specific questions about um, was there anything out of the ordinary, what windows and doors are open. And that's standard on any fire incident or any incident of, of significance for that matter. Yeah, I suppose as the, the firemen get older, more experienced, they probably look for that as they're going into fighting this fire. It would be a weird thing because my one thing to get done is to put the fire out, but also like, oh, that window's open. But you that, that stuff all plays a factor in how you're fighting it. But you didn't have, uh, you know, I don't know how many people, I guess there was, I, I missed that, how many people were on the scene, but you had eight new guys on the scene as well, right? Yeah, we just started eight probationary firefighters this last week was their first uh, week on shift. And it was pretty, I can't imagine my first fire that I was in. I think I went through my tank of air in about seven and a half minutes. And like you said, it was, it was a flash and it was over with. I was so focused on doing my job at the end of the nozzle that I didn't really, you know, the little details really weren't there for me. Whereas you get later on in your career, the fire ground slows down a little bit. So it would be interesting if you interviewed one of those folks, at their first fire versus what I saw and and was thinking and and feeling about the whole situation. But um, I couldn't be prouder, actually, of our whole organization. At what time we had up to, I think we had close to 40 firefighters working on scene, and that's not just our firefighters. We had Shelby Fire was on scene with us, numerous agencies, Tri-State Ambulance, all the folks working together. Uh, Couldn't be prouder. I think uh, one of the things I've most proud of in my career is I've seen a dynamic change in the level of fitness and professionalism. And I think that actually makes a bigger difference um, in these types of situations in terms of how we go about things and how we assess our personnel to do it. So glad you brought that up. It's a, it's a chance to kind of highlight where our people are at and uh, pretty proud of them to say the least. I have so many jokes about you going through a tank of air in seven and a half minutes, but I need a baseline at 20. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. How old is a is a rookie fire fireman? Or like, are they twenty? Are they twenty older? years old all the way up to forty six years old? That's okay. what uh, our span of uh, probies have, have uh, okay. been in the last ten years. Let's so. just say, let's just say we get a twenty. Let's go prime twenty seven year old firefighter. He's been with the department five years. Pretty good shape. He's he's a work working out. How long does does a kind of a seasoned guy go through a tank of air? It depends. It, there's a lot of factors that go into it. A guy that, uh, that is a, a guy on my shift who's our kind of our peer fitness coordinator. He's he's six foot six and he's a machine, but his his lung capacity is a lot greater than mine. So when we go do our air management or we have mandatory fitness uh, throughout our our tour, um, it, it's interesting to see how much work we can do versus how much air we use. So it's really not a measurable thing. He may be able to do twice as much work that 27 year old as I do, and he consumes more air or less air. But it, it really is an individual basis of, of how much air you consume. But in this particular case, like, that's some of the stuff we'll talk about in our after action. Like, how many tanks of air did you go through? You know, what were the circumstances like? I, I know one of the crews in the basement at, at one point was facing uh, temperatures upwards of 700 degrees. You know, that actually saps you. It doesn't matter what kind of shape you're in. So a lot of the circumstances that we look at and a lot of the fitness stuff that we train for will definitely factor into how we look at this fire and how we push forward. But like I said, our our people are in better shape and have more training than they ever have in the past, and and that's something that we're definitely proud of. You're sucking all the air out of the fun of this. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, no, just kidding. But uh, interim assistant fire chief Jeff Show, he's been with the, the the department 22 years. When you were a rookie, at seven and a half minutes on a tank of air. You, I think that's what you said. Uh, what yeah, are you... I think the adrenaline had a factor in that. <laughs> what definitely had a factor in that. What's a typical tank of air for you now? As an old well, guy, we, we now used you're... to have thirty-minute bottles. They've pushed up to forty-five, but the reserve amount of emergency air kind of shortens that down a little bit. The working time will depend on what you're doing, but most times, I mean, I did my air management the other day, and I'm I'm forty-seven, and I had uh, almost thirty minutes from start to finish. But that was that was through a sequence of events. If you put me in a working situation, like some of those firefighters were in the basement, I'm, I'm guessing maybe I get ten minutes out of a tank. Okay. Safely, so I can have enough reserve air to get out. Was was your first fire pretty pretty dramatic, or was it pretty basic? I mean, no fire is basic, but the most the significant fire the first time I was in one where it was like the real deal, and you know, crawling through the black smoke was Easter Sunday in two thousand one. I can remember the date and the time and everything. I mean, that's how memorable it is. But I do remember my bottle going off first, the alarm going off, and having to go out, and, and uh, you're like, wow, what just happened? Right, so, it's almost it's almost got to be. Well, you probably don't even have any concept of time, too, right? When you're like, oh, that's seven and a half minutes. I can't believe I'm done already. But uh, you're probably not even thinking that. Hey, Jeff, do you have a couple of minutes? I got a I got a break for news. Do you have a couple of minutes after the break? Sure, I do. Okay, just hold tight because I have some stuff on here. We get lost in in conversation here, and then I want to get to some details. But anyway, that's interim assistant fire chief Jeff Schultz. We're going to continue this after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to get in here. Still speaking with interim assistant fire chief Jeff Schott. He's been doing he's been on the job for 22 years, not the assistant uh, interim assistant fire chief. He's been doing that for eh, about 2 weeks, right, Jeff? That's correct. About 2 weeks since we How have you talked to 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 former fire chief Ken Gilliam out there in Arizona? I feel like they don't have any water out there. I don't know how you fight fires out there. I haven't heard from him since he's uh, officially officially landed out there. All right. Um, do you want to do? Do you want to talk about the downtown fire a little bit more, or fire permits, fire pit permits? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I think That's it was not la- nice. I That's think it was. Nice, Rick. <laughs> I think it was last year, two years ago. I did a whole segment on fire pit permits. It was, I, th- I might have did that with Pat. I can't remember. It was pretty funny though. Um, all right, so the, we were we were kind of talking nonsense about how well nonsense, and it was it was kind of relevant too. Just how much of a how long a tank of air lasts, and it all depends on the guy. But I wanted to talk about some of the other details with the fire that happened in downtown Lacrosse last week, Thursday morning. And you said you were out there till 11 p.m. So I I said about 12 hours, but it was way longer than that for you guys. Well, I left at about I left at about 4:30 p.m. and I think they hauled the last dumpster away at 11:50. That's when they closed the call. Now, when now it's been a couple of days. Do you guys have any? Do you do you do anything downtown with that that site, or is it, it once it's clear? I, I feel like how long after that fire were you guys sticking around to make sure everything's done? And do you do anything now? Uh, as far as today, um, I think just this investigation that moves forward. But in terms of actual operational fire crews down there, we don't really have anything to do with that uh, in terms of what they're going to do with the cleanup and how they start to potentially look at that scene. But we did have people there until 11:50 PM on site with the, uh, with the demolition crews. Okay. And 
so I, I like to, I, I, I often, now this is a good comparison, the casino bar fire, this fire downtown on J Street, um, which was, you know, there was another fire like a decade ago, I think, on J Street as well. I think there's a big open lot right there. But um, how, can you just talk about like how, uh, what is the word, just like close this comes to taking a, out in a, a block, how dangerous, how uh, you know, downtown fires seem like a little bit more risk. Risky is a weird word, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like if a, if a building starts on fire downtown, then how close does it come to the devastation of taking out a whole block? Yeah, you're pretty much relying on how well they constructed the building in the, uh, you know, the turn of the century. And back then, there wasn't uh, a lot of thought given to what they were using to build uh, these actual structures, well, but Jeff, they did have the wherewithal to put in firewalls, we call them. Jeff, you say turn of the century, but you mean two centuries ago, right? Like the turn yeah, of the century, I, I 2000. Guess I, gotta, I guess I go back even farther. Like, the like particular, some of these particular buildings are upwards of 130 years old or more. Yeah, we're talking so, like 1800s to the 1900s, that turn of the century. <laughs> yeah, I, I I got another one coming around. It, tell, it just tells you that how how fast time goes and how these buildings get made over. You you don't even realize it sometimes how old these structures are. You know they get the, a different facade or you get the remodeling done on the inside, but the structural uh, integrity of that building is all dimensional lumber. And you know we kind of joke around like literally probably some of these logs to build these places were floated down on the Mississippi and 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 brought into place so like the casino bar fire the j street fire these are all buildings that have that heavy timber construction at all that dimensional lumber and they have that brick firewall maybe in between and in this particular case in this last fire and also the casino bar fire we we may have said we made a defensive strategy and said we're keeping everybody out of the building we know is a loss but we made a, a calculated risk with our personnel to get into what we call the exposure or the adjacent property and, and make an effort to, to get those walls opened up, get water in those walls and to start cooling those firewalls so that we can prevent that spread. So it does not continue down the block. And if, if you, if you've been downtown for any, any period of time, you realize like you start on the, on state street and you can walk all the way to main street and it's one continuous building. You know, and in maybe a few spaces in between. So it was absolutely critical, uh, and I think we learned from the past that we had to get in there and and get into those adjacent structures, open up those walls, and get water flowing and stop that spread, or otherwise it would have continued on, and probably would have had uh, some further losses down the block, uh, if not the whole block. I know you, the the fire department is also the building inspectors. Is there is there a lot of inspecting going on? I don't, maybe you can't even do it. Can you even? inspect those firewalls because the guy I was talking to with at the fire department before I talked to you today I uh, was talking about how some some people even drill holes into these firewalls and, and may you know put shelves up or something uh, where you're not supposed to touch those I don't know I'm, I, I could be miss I could have misheard how he was speaking about that but uh, I don't know can you can you speak to that a little bit no he's correct because like I said most of these properties are are residential over commercial properties. So there's some type of business on the first floor, and then on the second floor they have some type of modified arrangement where they can have apartments or maybe small offices. And over periods of time, you know, people make modifications that aren't exactly up to code. You know, and, and like I, you know, when I lived in college and you, you, you live in this place and you live in that place, the, the last thing on your mind is if you're following fire code when you're drilling into a wall to hang the latest, 
whatever you're hanging up or your posters or whatever is going on to that wall or whatever modification you're making. And sometimes that happens. You know, you go through that brick and not even thinking about it or the telecommunications lines that they alter or the plumbing that has to be done. And we do inspect these buildings, but we don't get into every nook and cranny, and we certainly don't inspect everybody's individual residence. So some of the factors that go into that, you know, when we're actually in the midst of fighting these fires are are weighing heavily on the incident commander's mind, and certainly those officers that are in there looking for that, that fire is where is this fire hidden, you know, and, and how do we get to it? So we use a lot of our technology these days with our thermal imaging cameras. Uh, we have some, we, you know, tools that have evolved over time to help make things easier, but you still got to get in there and do the manual labor portion of it, which is the most taxing on our crews and certainly well worth the investment on this last fire and also the casino fire, which is uh, another excellent stop and uh, a read of a building and, and getting in there and doing the right thing when we needed to. Um, I know, like, we we only lost the one building, which seems like good news and bad news, but a good news that didn't spread. We didn't lose an entire block. But when you guys go back and reassess what happened, um, you know, it, it, kind of like uh, an, uh, an NFL team might go back and look at film. Do you Have you found anything? So, you know what, we didn't do this right, that right. Have you done that yet? Or uh, anything you guys at this point could have done better? Oh, there's always things we can do better. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you, I mean, you compare it to a sports team, you go back and you look at the film, well, there's going to be a lot of film on this uh, that we do have already, and it's all got to get uploaded. And then uh, it takes uh, what we call an after action review, and they'll look at each each segment of not only just all the visual evidence, but also the reports. Uh, we'll actually sit in the room, and we might even break it down into different levels, but the bottom line is there's there's obviously always room for improvement, and that's what our department's been about, at least the culture that I've been around, is we got to get a little bit better every day uh, in what we're doing. So we provide, obviously, the best customer service, but we feel good about when we leave the scene. So there will be an extensive, this will be a major uh, after-action review that will be led by our division chief of training, uh, Todd Adams. and. Um, there'll be time set aside to discuss everything and all the takeaways and the nuggets. And, you know, we call them wins when we save the block, but I think it's hard for us to forget that, you know, there were tenants that were standing out there that lost everything. I mean, they lost everything that day. So we do feel that type of loss also as well. Um, you know, yeah, great. The fire went out and we saved the block, but there is, there is a recognition there. And we have some great community members too, that we can, and then the Red Cross helped these people, but it's still sad. Uh, when you see people that lose everything, and that's that's one of the things that never goes away from this job. From whatever successes that I'm describing to you, it's still hard to watch people lose everything, and that also sticks with us. We're speaking with Lacrosse Fire Department Interim Assistant Chief Jeff Schott. Um, yeah, when the building, when you lose the building, you almost feel like you 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 guys are you're disappointed as firefighters. I bet, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, we never ever like to see a building have to be raised. You know, we feel like, the, you know, that that's that's something we take very personally. But in this particular case, you know, from my experience, uh, this was a deep-seated basement fire that had, that had spread and traveled long before we ever entered that building and in a lot of concealed spaces. Um, and I think as we go and look back and we look at how our tactics went and, and, you know, the end result isn't exactly anything that we could have done different, but we certainly will look at inside of the tactics that we did use what went well, what didn't go well, how if we had the same structure again. Uh, unfortunately, when you come out of fire school, don't, they don't exactly set you up in buildings and, and have training fires on buildings that were built in 1880. So there's just real no good way to train for these things. That's why our after action is so important. 
Yeah, maybe the the building that was raised in downtown Lacrosse last year because it was condemned, then then they they tore it down. Maybe you should have did some training on that before they tore it down. You know, yeah, we actually had a fire in that building uh, early on in my career. Uh, it was I think it was Club Millennium at that time. Um. Okay. So with with that, do you 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 were talking to uh, before the show a little bit about. Uh, well, what happens, Jeff, because you have so many people, you said 40 firefighters downtown fighting that fire, and I know you, you kind of call the rest of the fire departments in the area. Uh, how, how tough would it have been to fight, or fight another fire at the same time? Uh, I think at some point when you have a major event going on, and then this was not, no exception to that, we, would, we were stretched pretty thin. Fortunately for us, um, we, have, we have mutual aid with our neighboring fire departments which was uh, called upon in this case. We also have a mutual aid box alarm system, which we can use as well. So if there was a fire on the north side, south side of the cross, we had um, on Alaska was covering the north side with a change of quarters on a mutual aid, and we had Shelby not only on scene but also had people staffed at their station uh, to cover the south side of the cross. Um, and I think we even had Stoddard. I'm not sure if they went on standby or did a change of quarters, but at one point that was requested as well. So... We have uh, one of the things that has changed over the years, last last few, as a matter of fact, is we create a little bit better relationship with uh, some of our neighboring departments, uh, so we can we can better be equipped. So when we are fighting fire in the cross, and they can come in. In fact, the casino fire you mentioned, we the first time ever we had La Crescent inside of our station, covering while we had, you know, 50 people downtown for that casino fire. So yeah. we we reach out to all all ends of every department to to help us out when we need to. Uh, real quick, how, how long do you think the fire was burning inside the building before you guys got there? Because you said it was in the basement. I have no idea on that. I mean, it's the span of my career. It could have been burning for, I mean, in my experience, it could be burning for hours. It could have been burning for a short amount of time until it got the air it needed. It's, it's really unknown. It's just uh, the nature of fire behavior and those type of structures is, is, really, is really quite unpredictable. And really, there's no... I don't think there's really any 100% accurate statement on when that thing started. Will investigators figure that out, or is that just blanket? Like we'll just never know. I would like to. I would like to hope so, but can't give any guarantees on that one. Yeah, um, and then you know the casino bar. The fire started in an alley outside the bar. I think I, I, for you know I think a lot of people want to say some, some people were out there trying to keep warm in the winter. But is that is is maybe that why we lost this building as compared to the casino bar fire because of the the fire started outside? Uh, not sure. I'm not. I'm not going to speculate on that one. Um, as far as what the cause and origin of this one is, I I don't think that we can go there at this point. Um, and then last thing, the uh, the equipment you guys use. Uh, some of it's some of it's pretty new, and and I would imagine you know you had eight rookies out there fighting the fire. Did you have some trucks and and some equipment that hadn't hadn't gone through uh, a fire like that before too? Is is it always kind of like a, you you guys test this stuff, but then it really gets tested? Yeah, we have a we have a normal Saturdays our our equipment check days. So the engineer of the apparatus and, and whoever else is around, usually we we engage those aerials, we pump with the pumps, but Certainly, it's no match for pumping for uh, a Saturday check and getting a stick in the air and, and, and putting it through its paces is, is not the same as being on scene for, for six hours, you know, and going through that kind of fuel burn and exercising those, 
those ladders and, and all the hoses that are out. So tremendous amount of equipment was used. It's a heavily resource dependent fire. And, and, and like I, I told you earlier, you know, there, there's several hours of, of going over the inventory and going over your equipment and making sure everything is lubed, making sure everything is gassed up to the top and making sure that uh, it's ready to go for the next one. And then you, when you when you talk about debriefing your your firemen and 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 just going over the film, so to speak, uh, how much work? You know, obviously the the fire is all, the most amount of work, but how many days of work does it take to get everything back? All this equipment you got to clean all this. I'm sure it's all just nasty. Uh, you got to you got to probably go through the trucks re- re- maybe once, twice, three times over just to make sure everything's uh, back to that because you could you never know when the next fire is going to happen. No, when I got back into the station about four four thirty p.m., um, they had all the gear was already starting to be washed. We everyone has a second set of turnout gear, and that's standard protocol to get those everything washed. All the hoses already hung. Uh, the trucks were back in, serviced, uh, fueled, ready to go. And then there was already an email out with an inventory list of things that we needed to get back in line or get re- get replacement equipment for. So a lot of this happens immediately to put the truck back in service. Yeah. And then there's a continued effort from the, whenever there's a shift changeover. We run 48-96 now, cruise around for 48 hours and then off for 96. So when that shift change happened, you know, that, that individual that gets that truck handed off to them and those officers, they need to go through that truck also. So that's, that's a routine process. It just becomes a little bit more significant when they say, hey, by the way, we lost we lost an axe or, you know, we lost 50 feet of hose. We had to take it off the rack over there. That's yeah. a communication process. That's just checking your inventory. Is it is it weird that we tore the building down so soon? Because, you know, you talk about investigation and how the fire started and all that. There is no evidence anymore. Or is that pretty typical? Is it a safety? Why why would we tear the building down so soon? Uh, I, there is there is so much risk for um, reignition when you have that type of building that it is almost a, a certainty we would have been called back at some point for a rekindle or reignition, and we're just putting more people at risk by yeah. not taking that building down. Okay. Uh, so I would I would do that again 100 times over Okay. Uh, just for the safety factor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's Interim Assistant Fire Chief Jeff Schott with the La Crosse Fire Department. Jeff, thanks a lot for spending the show with me. You didn't even expect to do that. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me on. All right. got to take one more quick break. We'll be back. All right, that's going to about do it for my Monday back. I put all the work on Jeff Schott's lap. Assistant Fire Chief, uh, Interim Assistant Fire Chief Jeff Schott, talking about that fire in downtown La Crosse last Thursday. It lasted 8, 12 hours being down there. Uh, All the things you never think about when when there's that big of a fire, that devastating, and that much, (laughs) like... Uh, how the the toll on the equipment, the toll on the firefighters, what happens after that? You know why they destroyed the building, all that stuff is pretty interesting. Um, Cheryl Hancock, I, I didn't even get to it. Uh, the the fake Facebook profile, we could we could discuss that. I think anytime down the road. Whether you're a seasoned chef or just starting your culinary journey, Cooley Region Cooks is your new podcast resource. Discover new techniques. Hear from local culinary heroes who are mastering the art of the kitchen. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 on WIZM. Stream your favorite cooking tips, local chef interviews, and mouth-watering recipes on the WIZM app. Or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Stay updated and engaged by following us on Facebook. Just search Cooley Region Cooks today.